0: Act One of Henry the Fourth, Part One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry the Fourth, Part One, by William Shakespeare. Act One. Scene One. London, the Palace. Enter King Henry, Lord John of Lancaster. The Earl of Westmoreland, Sir Walter Blunt, and others.
1: So shaken as we are, so wan with care, Find we a time for frighted peace to pant, And breathe short-winded accents of new broils To be commenced in strands afar remote. No more the thirsty entrance of this soil Shall daub her lips with her own children's blood, Nor more shall trenching war channel her fields nor bruiser flowerets with the armed hoofs of hostile paces. Those opposed eyes, which, like the meteors of a troubled heaven, all of one nature, of one substance bred, did lately meet in the intestine shock and furious close of civil butchery, shall now, in mutual well-beseeming ranks, march all one way, and be no more opposed against acquaintance, kindred, and allies. THE EDGE OF WAR like an ill-sheathed knife, no more shall cut his master. Therefore, friends, as far as to the sepulchre of Christ, whose soldier now, under whose blessed cross we are impressed and engaged to fight, forthwith the power of English shall we levy, whose arms were moulded in their mother's womb to chase these pagans in those holy fields, over whose acres walked those blessed feet— which fourteen hundred years ago were nailed for our advantage on the bitter cross. But this our purpose now is twelve month old, and bootless tis to tell you we will go, therefore we meet not now. Then let me hear of you, my gentle cousin Westmoreland, what yesternight our council did decree in forwarding this dear expedience.
2: My liege, this haste was hot in question, and many limits of the charge set down but yesternight, when all athwart there came a post from Wales loaden with heavy news, whose worst was that the noble Mortimer, leading the men of Herefordshire to fight against the irregular and wild Glendower, was, by the rude hands of that Welshman, taken, a thousand of his people butchered, upon whose dead corpse there was such misuse. Such beastly, shameless transformation by those Welsh women done as may not be without much shame retold or spoken of.
1: It seems then that the tidings of this broil break off our business for the Holy Land. This
2: matched with other did, my gracious lord, for more uneven and unwelcome news came from the north, and thus it did import. On Holyrood day, the gallant Hotspur, there, young Harry Percy and brave Archibald, that ever valiant and approved Scot, at Holmden met where they did spend a sad and bloody hour, as by discharge of their artillery and shape of likelihood the news was told, for he that brought them in the very heat and pride of their contention did take horse, uncertain of the issue anyway.
1: HERE IS A DEAR, A TRUE INDUSTRIOUS FRIEND, Sir Walter Blunt, newly lighted from his horse stained with the variation of each soil betwixt that Holmden and this seat of ours, and he hath brought us smooth and welcome news. The Earl of Douglas is discomfited ten thousand bold Scots, two and twenty knights, balked in their own blood, did Sir Walter see on Holmden's plains. Of prisoners Hotspur took Mordake the Earl of Fife, an eldest son to beaten Douglas, and the Earl of Athol of Murray, Angus, and Menteith, And is not this an honourable spoil? A gallant prize! Ha, cousin, is it not?
2: In faith it is a conquest for a prince to boast of.
1: Yea, there thou makest me sad, and makest me sin in envy, that my lord Northumberland shall be the father to so blest a son, a son who is the theme of honour's tongue, amongst a grove the very straightest plant who is sweet fortune's minion and her pride, whilst I, by looking on the praise of him, see riot and dishonour stain the brow of my young Harry. Oh, that it could be proved that some night-tripping fairy had exchanged in cradle-clothes our children where they lay, and called mine Percy, his Plantagenet! Then would I have his Harry, and he mine. But let him from my thoughts. What think you cause of this young Percy's pride? The prisoners which he in this adventure hath surprised to his own use he keeps and sends me word i shall have none but Mordake, earl of fife this is his
2: uncle's teaching this is worcester malevolent to you in all aspects which makes him prune himself and bristle up the crest of youth against your dignity
1: but i have sent for him to answer this and for this cause awhile we must neglect our holy purpose to Jerusalem cousin on wednesday next our council we will hold at windsor so inform the lords but come yourself with speed to us again for more is to be said and to be done than out of anger can be uttered
2: i will my liege
0: Exeunt. scene 2 london an apartment of the princes enter the prince of wales and falstaff
3: now hal what time of day is it lad thou art so fat-witted with drinking of old sack and unbuttoning thee after supper and sleeping upon benches after noon that thou hast forgotten to demand that truly which thou wouldst truly know what a devil hast thou to do with the time of the day unless hours were cups of sack and minutes capons and clocks the tongues of bawds and dials the signs of leaping-houses and the blessed sun himself a fair hot wench in flame-coloured taffeta i see no reason why thou shouldst be so superfluous as to demand the time of the day indeed you come near me
4: now hal for we that take purses go by the moon and the seven stars and not by phoebus he that wandering night so fair and i prithee sweet wag when thou art king as god save thy grace (laughs) majesty i should say for grace thou wilt have none what none no by my troth not so much as will serve to prologue to an egg and butter well how then come Mm. roundly roundly marry then sweet wag when thou art king Let not us that are squires of the night's body be called thieves of the day's beauty. Let us be Diana's foresters, gentlemen of the shade, minions of the moon. And let men say we be men of good government, being governed, as the sea is, by our noble and chaste mistress the moon, under whose countenance we steal.
3: Thou sayest well, and it holds well too, For the fortune of us that are the moon's men doth ebb and flow, like the sea, being governed, as the sea is, by the moon. As for proof, now, a purse of gold most resolutely snatched on Monday night and most dissolutely spent on Tuesday morning, got with swearing lay-by and spent with crying, Bring in! Now in as low and ebb as the foot of the ladder, and by and by in as high a flow as the ridge Of the gallows.
4: By the lord thou sayest true, lad, And is not my hostess of the tavern A
3: a most sweet wench? As the honey of Hibla, My old lad of the castle, And is not a buff-jerkin A most sweet robe of durance? How
4: now, how now, mad wag, What in thy quips and thy quiddities? What a plague have I to do With a buff-jerkin? Why, what a pox have I to do With my hostess of the tavern? Well, thou hast called her to a reckoning, many a time and oft.
3: Did I ever call for thee to pay thy part?
4: No, I'll give thee thy due, thou hast paid all
3: there. Yea, and elsewhere, so far as my coin would stretch. And where it would not, I have used my credit. Yea, and so used it, that
4: were it not here apparent, that thou art ere apparent, but... I prithee, sweet wag, shall there be gallows standing in England when thou art king? And resolution thus fobbed as it is with the rusty curb of old Father Antic the law, do not thou, when thou art king, hang a thief?
3: No. Thou shalt.
4: Shall I? O oh, rare! By the Lord, I'll be a
3: brave judge. Thou judgest false already. I mean. Thou shalt have the hanging of the thieves, and so become a rare hangman. Well, how well, and in some sort it
4: jumps with my humour, as well as waiting in the court, I can tell you. For obtaining of suits? Yea, for obtaining of suits, whereof the hangman hath no lean wardrobe. Sblood! I am as melancholy as a gib-cat or a lugged bear.
3: Or an old lion, or a lover's lute. Yea, or the drone of a Lincolnshire bagpipe. What sayest thou to a hare? Or the melancholy of Mordish.
4: Thou hast the most unsavory similes, and art indeed the most comparative, rascalliest, sweet young prince. But, Hal, I prithee, trouble me no more with vanity. I would to God thou and I knew where a commodity of good names were to be bought. An old lord of the council rated me the other day in the street about you, sir, but I mocked him not. And yet he talked very wisely. But I regarded him not. And yet he talked wisely and in the street
3: too. Thou didst well. For wisdom cries out in the streets, and no man regards it. Oh, "'Thou hast
4: damnable iteration, and art indeed able to corrupt a saint. "'Thou hast done much harm upon me, Hal. "'God forgive thee for it. "'Before I knew thee, Hal, I knew nothing, "'and now am I, if a man should speak truly, "'little better than one of the wicked. "'I must give over this life, and I will give it over, "'by the Lord, and I do not. "'I am a villain.' I'll be damned for never a king's son in Christendom. Where shall we take a purse to-morrow, Jack? Sounds, where well, thou wilt, lad. I'll make one, and I do not. Call me a villain and baffle me.
3: I see a good amendment of life in thee, from praying to purse-taking. Why, Hal, tis my
4: vocation, Hal. Tis no sin for a man to labour in his vocation.
0: Enter points
4: points now shall we know if gansill have set a match oh if men were to be saved by merit what hole in hell were hot enough for him this is a most omnipotent villain
5: that ever cried stand to a true man good morrow ned good morrow sweet hal what says monsieur remorse what says sir john jack and sugar jack how agrees the devil in thee about thy soul, that thou soldest him on Good Friday last for a cup of Madeira and a cold capon's leg?
3: Sir John stands to his word, the devil shall have his bargain, for he was never yet a breaker of proverbs, he will give the devil his
5: due. Then thou art damned for keeping thy word with the devil.
3: Else he had been damned for cozening the devil.
5: But lads, my lads, tomorrow morning by four o'clock, early at Hill. There are pilgrims coming to Canterbury with rich offerings, and traders riding to London with fat purses. I have wizards for you all, and you have horses for yourselves. Gad's Hill lies tonight in Rochester. I have bespoke supper tomorrow night at Eastcheap. We may do it as secure as sleep. If you will go, I will stuff your purses full of crowns. If you will not, tarry at home and be hanged. Hear ye, Edward? If I
4: tarry at home
5: and go not, I'll hang
4: you for going. You will. Chops. how wilt thou make one? Who I rob? I a thief, not I, by my faith. Oh, there's neither honesty, manhood, nor good fellowship in thee, nor thou camest not of the blood royal. If thou darest not stand for ten shillings. Well, then, once in my days I'll be a madcap. Why, that's well said. Well, come what will, I'll tarry it home. By the lord, I'll be a traitor, then, when thou art king.
3: I care not.
5: Sir John, I prithee, leave the prince and me alone. I will lay him down such reasons for this adventure that he, he shall go.
4: Well, God give thee the spirit of persuasion, and him the ears of profiting, that what thou speakest may move, and what he hears may be believed, that the true prince may, for recreation's sake, prove a false thief for the poor abuses of the time want countenance. Farewell, you shall find me in Eastcheap.
3: Farewell, the latter spring. Farewell, all hallowed summer.
0: Exit Falstaff.
5: Now, my good, sweet, honey lord, ride with us tomorrow. I have a jest to execute that I cannot manage alone. Falstaff, Bardove, Petzl, and Gadshill shall rob those men we have already waylaid. Yourself and I will not be there, and when they have the booty, if you and I do not rob them, cut this head off my shoulders. How shall we part with them in setting forth? Why, we will set forth before or after them, and appoint them a place of meeting, wherein it is at our pleasure to fail, and when they will adventure upon the exploit themselves, which they shall have no sooner achieved, but will set upon them.
3: Yea, but... Tis like that they will know us by our horses, by our habits, and by every other appointment to be ourselves.
5: Tut, our horses they shall not see. I'll tie them in the wood. Our vizards we will change after we leave them, and, sirrah, I have cases of buckram for the nonce to amask our noted outward garments. Yea, but I doubt they will be too hard for us. Well, for two of them, I know them to be as true-bred cowards as ever turned back. And for the third, if he fights longer than he says reason, I'll forswear arms. The virtue of this jest will be the incomprehensible lies this same fat rogue will tell us when we meet at supper. How thirty at least he fought with. What wards, what blows, what extremities he endured. And in the reproof of this lies the jest. Well,
3: I'll go with thee. Provide us all things necessary and meet me tomorrow night in East Chief. There I'll sup, Farewell. Farewell, my lord.
0: Exit points.
3: I know you all, and will a while uphold the unyoked humor of your idleness. Yet herein will I imitate the sun, who doth permit the base contagious clouds to smother up his beauty from the world, that, when he please again to be himself, being wanted, He may be more wondered at by breaking through the foul and ugly mists of vapors that did seem to strangle him. If all the year were playing holidays, to sport would be as tedious as to work. But when they seldom come, they wished for come, and nothing pleaseth but rare accidents. So, when this loose behavior I throw off and pay the debt I never promises, By how much better than my word I am! By so much shall I falsify men's hopes. And like bright metal on a sullen ground, my reformation glittering over my fault, shall show more goodly and attract more eyes than that which hath no foil to set it off. I'll so offend, making offense a skill, redeeming time when men think least I will.
0: EXIT SCENE three. LONDON. THE PALACE. Enter the King, Northumberland, Worcester, Hotspur, Sir Walter Blunt, with others.
1: My blood hath been too cold and temperate, unapt to stir at these indignities, and you have found me, for accordingly you tread upon my patience. But be sure I will from henceforth rather be myself, mighty and to be feared, than my condition. WHICH HATH BEEN SMOOTH AS OIL, SOFT AS YOUNG DOWN, AND THEREFORE LOST THAT TITLE OF RESPECT, WHICH THE PROUD SOUL NE'ER PAYS
6: BUT TO THE PROUD. Our house, my Sovereign liege, little deserves the scourge of greatness to be used on it, and that same greatness too which our own hands hath halt to make so portly. My lord! Worcester get thee gone,
1: for I do see danger, and disobedience in thine eye. O sir, your presence is too bold and peremptory, and majesty might never yet endure the moody frontier of a servant brow. You have good leave to leave us. When we need your use and counsel, we shall send for you.
0: Exit Worcester.
1: You were about to speak.
0: To North.
7: Yea, my good lord, those prisoners in your highness' name demanded, which Harry Percy here at Holmden took were, as he says, not with such strength denied, as is delivered to your majesty, either envy, therefore, or misprision, is guilty of this fault, and not my son.
8: My liege, I did deny no prisoners. But I remember when the fight was done, when I was dry with rage and extreme toil, breathless and faint, leaning upon my sword, came there a certain lord, neat and trimly dressed, fresh as a bridegroom, and his chin new reaped, showed like a stubble-landed harvest-home, he was perfumed like a milliner, and twixt his finger and his thumb he held a pounce box which ever and anon he gave his nose and took it away again, who therewith angry, when it next came there, took it in snuff, and still he smiled and talked, and as the soldiers bore dead bodies by, he called them untaught knaves, unmannerly, to bring a slovenly, unhandsome course betwixt the wind and his nobility. With many holiday and lady terms he questioned me, among the rest, demanded my prisoners in Your Majesty's behalf. I then, all smarting, with my wounds being cold, to be so pestered with a popinjay, out of my grief and my impatience, answered neglectingly, I know not what. He should or he should not, for he made me mad to see him shine so brisk and smell so sweet and talk so like a waiting gentlewoman of guns and drums and wounds. God save the mark! and telling me that the sovereignest thing on earth was Parmasetti for an inward bruise, and that it was great pity, so it was, this villainous saltpeter should be digged out of the bowels of the harmless earth, which many a good tall fellow had destroyed so cowardly, and but for these vile guns he would himself have been a soldier. This bald, unjointed chat of his, my lord, I answered indirectly, as I said, and I beseech you, Let not his report come current for an accusation betwixt my love and your high majesty.
3: The circumstance considered, good my lord, whate'er Lord Harry Percy then had said to such a person and in such a place, at such a time with all the rest retold, may reasonably die and never rise to do him wrong or any way impeach what then he said, so he unsay it now. Why, yet he doth deny his
1: prisoners, but with proviso and exception— that we at our own charge shall ransom straight his brother-in-law, the foolish Mortimer, who, on my soul, hath wilfully betrayed the lives of those that he did lead to fight against that great magician, damned Glendower, whose daughter, as we hear, the Earl of March hath lately married. Shall our coffers, then, be emptied to redeem a traitor home? Shall we but treason?' and indent with fears when they have lost and forfeited themselves? No, on the barren mountains let him starve, for I shall never hold that man, my friend, whose tongue shall ask me for one penny cost, to ransom home revolted Mortimer.
8: Revolted Mortimer! He never did fall off my sovereign liege, but by the chance of war, to prove that True needs no more but one tongue for all those wounds— those mouthed wounds which valiantly he took, when on the gentle severn sedgy bank, in single opposition, hand to hand, he did confound the best part of an hour in changing hardiment with great Glendower. Three times they breathed, and three times did they drink, upon agreement of Swift Severn's flood, who then, affrighted with their bloody looks, ran fearfully among the trembling reeds, and hid his crisp head in the hollow bank, blood-stained with these valiant combatants. Never did base and rotten policy colour her working with such deadly wounds. Nor could the noble Mortimer receive so many, and all willingly. Then let him not be slandered with revolt. Thou
1: dost belie him, Percy, thou dost belie him. He never did encounter with Glendower. I tell thee, he durst as well have met the devil alone as Owen Glendower for an enemy. Art thou not ashamed? But, sirrah, henceforth let me not hear you speak of Mortimer. Send me your prisoners with the speediest means, or you shall hear in such a kind from me as will displease you. My lord Northumberland, we license your departure with your son. Send us your prisoners, or you will hear of
8: it.
0: Excellent King Henry, Blunt, and Train.
8: And if the devil come and roar for them, I will not send them. I will after straight and tell him so for I will ease my heart albeit I make a hazard of my head. What drunk with choler? Stay and pause a while. Here comes your uncle.
0: Re-enter Worcester.
8: speak of Mortimer. Sounds, I will speak of him. And let my soul want mercy if I do not join with him. Yea, on his part, I'll empty all these veins and shed my dear blood drop by drop in the dust. But I will lift the downtrod Mortimer as high in the air as this unthankful king, as this ingrate and cankered Bolingbroke.
6: Brother, the king hath made your nephew mad. Who struck up this heat after I was gone? He will forsooth have all my prisoners.
8: And when I urged the ransom once again of my wife's brother, then his cheek looked pale, and on my face he turned an eye of death. Trembling even at the name of Mortimer.
6: I cannot blame him. Was not he proclaimed by Richard that dead is the next of blood? He was. I
7: heard the proclamation. And then it was when the unhappy king, whose wrongs in us God pardon, did set forth upon his Irish expedition, from whence he intercepted did return, to be deposed and shortly murdered.
6: And for whose death we in the world's wide mouth Live scandalized and foully spoken of.
8: But soft, I pray you, Did King Richard then proclaim my brother Edmund Mortimer heir to the crown?
7: He did, myself did hear it.
8: Nay, then I cannot blame his cousin King That wished him on the barren mountains starve. But shall it be that you That set the crown upon the head of this forgetful man, And for his sake wear the detested blot Of murderous subornation, Shall it be that you a world of curses undergo, being the agents, or base second means, the cords, the ladder, or the hangman, rather? Oh, pardon me that I descend so low to show the line and the predicament wherein you range unto this subtle king. Shall it for shame be spoken in these days, or fill up chronicles in time to come, that men of your nobility and power did gauge them both in an unjust behalf? as both of you, God pardon it, have done? To put down Richard, that sweet lovely rose, and plant this thorn, this canker, Bolingbroke? And shall it in more shame be further spoken that you are fooled, discarded, and shook off by him for whom these shames ye underwent? No. Yet time serves wherein you may redeem your banished honours and restore yourselves into the good thoughts of the world again. Revenge of the jeering and disdained contempt of this proud king, who studies day and night to answer all the debt he owes to you,
6: even with the bloody payment of your deaths. Therefore I say— Peace, cousin, say no more. And now I will unclasp a secret book, and to your quick-conceiving discontents I'll read you matter deep and dangerous, as full of peril and adventurous spirit as to a walk a current roaring loud on the unsteadfast footing of a spear.'
8: If he fall in, good night, or sink or swim. Send danger from the east unto the west, so honor cross it from the north to south, and let them grapple. Oh, the blood more stirs to rouse a lion than to start a hare.
7: Imagination of some great exploit drives him beyond the bounds of patience.
8: By heaven, methinks it were an easy leap to pluck bright honor from the pale-faced moon, or dive into the bottom of the deep, where fathom line could never touch the ground and pluck up, drowned it on her by the locks, so that he that doth redeem her thence might wear without co-rival all her dignities, but out upon this half-faced fellowship.
6: He apprehends a world of figures here, but not the form of what he should attend. Good cousin, give me audience for a while.
8: I cry you mercy.
6: Those same noble Scots that are your prisoners.
8: I'll keep them all. By God, he shall not have a Scot of them. No, if a Scot would save his soul, he shall not. I'll keep them by this hand.
6: You start away and lend no ear unto my purposes. Those prisoners you shall keep.
8: Nay, I will. That's flat. He said he would not ransom Mortimer, forbade my tongue to speak of Mortimer. But I will find him when he lies asleep, and in his ear I'll holler Mortimer. Nay, I'll have a starling shall be taught to speak nothing but Mortimer, and give it him to keep his anchor still in motion. Hear
6: you, cousin, a word.
8: All studies here I solemnly defy, save how to gall and pinch this Bolingbroke, and that same sword-and-buckler Prince of Wales, but that I think his father loves him not, and would be glad he met with some mischance, I would have him poisoned with a pot of ale.
6: Farewell, kinsman. I'll talk to you when you are better tempered to attend. Why? What a wasp-stung and impatient fool
7: Art thou to break into this woman's mood, Tying thine ear to no tongue but thine own.
8: Why, look you! I am whipped and scourged with rods, Nettled and stung with pissmyers When I hear of this vile politician, Bolingbroke, in Richard's time. What do you call the place? Oh, a plague upon it. It is in Gloucestershire. T'was where the madcap duke his uncle kept. His uncle York, where I first bowed my knee unto this king of smiles, this bawling brook. Oh, Splod, uh, when you and he came back from Ravensburg. At Berkeley Castle. You say true. Why, what a candy deal of courtesy this fawning greyhound then did proffer me. Look, when his infant fortune came to age, and gentle Harry Percy, and kind cousin— The devil take such cozeners! God forgive me. Uh, Good uncle, tell your tale. I have done.
6: Nay, if you have not, to it again. We will stay your leisure.
8: I have done, faith.
6: Then once more to your Scottish prisoners. Deliver them up without their ransom, straight, and make the Douglas son your only mean for powers in Scotland, which, for diverse reasons which I shall send you written, be assured, will easily be granted. You, my lord,
0: To Northumberland,
6: Your son in Scotland being thus employed, shall secretly into the bosom creep of that same noble prelate well-beloved, the Archbishop.
8: Of York, is it not?
6: True, who bears hard his brother's death at Bristol, the Lord Scrope, I speak not this in estimation of what I think might be, but what I know is ruminated, plotted, and set down, and only stays but to behold the face of that occasion that shall bring it on.
8: I smell it. Upon my life it will do well.
7: Before the game is afoot, thou still let'st slip.
8: Why, it cannot choose but be a noble plot. And then the power of Scotland and of York to join with Mortimer?
6: (laughs) And so they shall.
8: In faith it is exceedingly well aimed.
6: And tis no little reason bids us speed To save our heads by raising of a head. For bear ourselves as even as we can The king will always think him in our debt, And think we think ourselves unsatisfied Till he hath found a time to pay us home, And see already how he doth begin to make us strangers To his looks of love.
8: He does, he does. We'll be revenged on him.
6: Cousin, farewell. No further go in this than I by letters shall direct your course. When time is ripe, which will be suddenly, I'll steal to Glendower and Lord Mortimer, where you and Douglas and our powers at once, as I will fashion it, shall happily meet, to bear our fortunes in our own strong arms, which now we hold at much uncertainty."
7: Farewell, good brother. We shall thrive,
6: I trust.
8: Uncle, adieu. Oh, let the hours be short, Till fields and blows and groans applaud our sport.
0: Exent. End of Act One.